Father, you are so gracious to each and every one of us. Just by nature that we're here at the college, we've all attested to the fact that you have brought somebody along to communicate your gospel to each one of us. Father, we owe you more gratitude than we can ever repay to ever show. Lord, I would ask that you would move in our hearts today as we take a look at your word to glean insights from your own character as to what it would be like for each of us to make an impact in our world. Find me faithful today, Father, as a communicator, to share my heart in such a way that truth is communicated, um, compassion is communicated, as well as honesty. And uh, we will commit this time to you and ask that your will be accomplished as always. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles out. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 9, I kind of asked for the stool today and the music stand because I want to be a little more casual with you. I don't want to stand up and expound and be somebody super powerful. I just want to tell you as an individual a couple principles that the Lord has convicted me of in my life that has changed my whole perspective on missions and outreach. And I hope just as you listen that you'll tune your heart in and, and uh, just kind of see what you can glean from my own personal experience. And then uh, we'll work to see where we can all plug in during missions conference, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9, please. Matthew chapter 9. Light would help? Okay, if you can't see, let me just read it for you. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Quite often when you hear this passage communicated to you, it's a plea. We need more help. There are people who need to come to know Jesus Christ. Sign up. Put your name down somewhere. Become a worker in the harvest. And it's very true. But I'm assuming that we understand that. I'm I'm assuming that that's been communicated to you. And then that's your heart. I think one of the dynamics I was speaking to our, the guy who's coming to be our guest speaker t- during the missions conference week, his name is Mike Silva, great guy, I'm real excited about coming. I said, you know what you got to do when you come in and talk to these students here? Don't assume that they need to be convinced about going. They've already come to this college to be prepared to go out. They've come here with that mindset. So uh, don't approach them with trying to win them over and convince them. I don't know about you, but I get real tired of those types of sermons when I'm sitting in the pew saying, I'm ready. Don't try to convince me. Tell me how to do it. And uh, this morning, I just want to hopefully, hopefully guide your thoughts in that direction, that as you go, something that might change your whole perspective. I'm just going to share with you two points, and they flow out of um, Matthew chapter 9. Point number one, Christ's perspective on the world, compassion. Compassion. Numerous times we are told in the Gospels, quote, and Christ had compassion on them. And each example as well is usually followed by Christ's physical response to the needs he saw. In Matthew 14, he had compassion on the crowds who were sick. And what did he do? He healed them. In Matthew chapter 15, again, compassion on the crowds and met their needs there. In Matthew chapter 20, blind men came to him and he had compassion on them and healed them. Mark 1, the leper came to him. Mark 6, the crowds again, compassion directed towards them. And Luke 15, um, I appreciate this. In Luke 15, it's the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, the same word there is used, compassion. As the father, at the end of the story, looks down the road and sees his son returning in his destitute state, it says he had compassion on him. 
The same. The same compassion that our Lord exhibited is the same communicated in that parable. Let me just talk to you about the word compassion. There are five words used in the New Testament. Uh, translate compassion in, in our English translations. The word here does not mean what some of those other words do mean. It doesn't mean to just have pity. To not just feel sorry for somebody. That's not what Christ was saying at this time. He didn't say, I just I feel sorry for you. You know, you're having a hard time out there. I'm real sorry about that. I'll get back to you later. And took off. That's not what Christ did. Um, or it does not mean to merely show kindness as some noble act or feat, just to show kindness. Christ didn't, wasn't moved to just do some good deeds towards them. But this is what the word does mean. It means to be moved as to one's inwards, to be moved to yearn with compassion, to yearn. Okay, I hope that sounds like a real strong word to you because that's what's being communicated. Um, the, the word there as well is used uh, for, by the Jews. It's the word they use for bowels. You've kind of heard this uh, explained before, I'm sure. But they believed that the bowels were the inward seat of sympathy and deep passions. And that's the word that Christ used. He said when he looked out on the crowds, he was moved internally with deep-seated passion because of their needs. He didn't just feel sorry for them. just didn't think he should do some good deeds. He was moved internally, powerfully. And what was his response? He acted towards that. He moved right in and tried to meet their needs. But if you look at this whole thing, what premeditated Christ's compassion? What was it? And this was the little key that kind of spurred me on and changed my perspective when we talk about outreach. Verse 36, 36 says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Simple little verb right there, saw. And my argument, my statement to you is, until you see the crowds... I believe it's very difficult to be moved with compassion that will solicit meeting their needs until you see them, see their needs. That's what Christ did in verse 36. I saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion on them. But I don't believe they just saw with physical eyes. He didn't just see their physical needs, their hunger and things like that, their diseases, their sicknesses, their illnesses. I believe he saw with spiritual eyes. What he saw was the destitute nature of their souls. And that is what caused our Christ to be truly moved with compassion. Our world, you can look around, you watch your television, you see your ads for um, you know, the starving kids in Ethiopia and things like that, and that should touch you and should move you. But hopefully, as a Christian, you are moved beyond that and begin to see with spiritual eyes, to see the destitute nature of their souls. And why? Why in this example was Christ so moved on this, this specific crowd? Leading up to this passage in Matthew chapter 9 and uh, chapters 5 through 7, Christ had taken his disciples up to the top of a mountain and had given them a discourse and had just shared with them uh, from his heart. And often in those chapters, he refers to the truth being communicated because the people have been lied to by the hypocrites, the hypocrites, the Pharisees. And that's the state we find these people in. They were malnutrition, they were starving. They've been harassed. And what does is, what is, um, God's Word continue to say in verse 37? I mean, I'm sorry, in the rest of verse 36, He says, When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. One, they were harassed, we read. Harassed by the Pharisees. I've mentioned that to you. The hypocrites that Christ has just told us about in the preceding chapters. They have been told by the Pharisees lies concerning their spiritual state. Okay? You can only be told lies so long until you realize the truth, that there's void and emptiness. And that's what these people are, spiritually starving. They've been held, 
uh, offered a diet of falsehood, and they're seeking after truth. And two, they've been left to, been left destitute as sheep without a shepherd. These people were abandoned and disillusioned spiritually, like I said, and ready to hear the truth. And therefore, Christ says this: I call for more workers to the harvest. They know that they need the truth. They've been lied to. So please go and give it to them. Okay? And as I mentioned to you, what solicited Christ's initial response was they saw. We saw. And that's my argument for you today. Why do we provide a missions conference? Why do I come to work every day? That's why I wanted to get up here and say, basically, why do I come to work every day? It's because in my experience, it wasn't until I went and saw the needs that my heart was broken and solicited a response on my part. Too often, it's far too easy to reside in the comfortableness of the confines of a Christian institution. Praise God for the vision of our leader, leaders who've said before, we'll shut down some classes. We don't want to just bring in speakers so that you're motivated and motivated and motivated, and then you go on. That was nice. Um, you motivated. We shut down classes. So what? You can get out there and do it. See the needs of the people. And that's what we're doing here. And that's just what I want to ask. I want to give you an example. When I was in college, and I heard all these great messages and things were going on, and, and I thought, God, why is my heart not broken for the lost? Why? Why do I not care? I want to care. I want to be obedient. Your word tells me that I'm supposed to care and be broken for these people. And I would get on my knees in my dorm room day after day, and I pray, God, break my heart for the world. Break my heart. It didn't happen until one time when I was attending my Bible study on Friday night, um, that a certain visitor came. And I just happened as a greeter and stuff, got plugged up with, plugged in with him. Come to find out he's a guy who didn't know Christ. He's a guy who'd run away from home at age 15, had not seen his parents, had no idea where they were actually. He lived in a one-room shack back behind the Saugus Cafe, which I don't even know if it's still there. And he looked at me and he said, I think I want to know more about your Jesus that you're talking about. And I began to pick him up. And I began to see where he lived. And I began to see the shattered state of his life. And the shattered truth that he'd been taught by the hypocrites of our day. The atheism in our culture. Okay? The hedonism. All those things he had adopted at age 15. He thought he could march out on his own and accomplish it. And find fulfillment. He'd been seduced by the hypocrites of our day to believe that, that it could be found. And at age 21, he looked at me and he says, I haven't found it. I want the truth. My life has been a mess for the last six years. I'll tell you what, my heart was moved for that young guy. And I began to spend time with him. And my life's never been the same since then. Never again have I just tried to take the approach of getting down on my knees and saying, God, break my heart. Trust me, if you get out there and that's your desire, it will take place. Because they are malnutrition. They are starving for spiritual truth. And that was my experience. And that's what I'd offer you as point number one. Christ's perspective on the world is compassion. Christ's perspective on the world is compassion. Let that be a motivation. Don't let it be just mere obedience going out. I mean, we need to do that. We sung about that this morning. You know, when we don't feel like it, we've got to keep plugging away. But I'll tell you something else. There can be a heartfelt care for these people as well. It doesn't have to just be the, the shallow, empty kind of shell of, I'm just doing it because I need to do it. It's just a responsibility I have. Anyways, that had a great impact on my life. It encouraged my heart. It gave me a direction to go to step out and to see. And it greatly encouraged me. Point number two I want to give you is the Christian's perspective on the world is compassion. 
the Christian's perspective on the world is compassion. In Matthew chapter 28, we hear Christ's last words to his disciples in A.D. 30. They're familiar ones to us. He said, what did he say? Go and make disciples. Okay? Christ, you guys have all heard this explained to you, I'm sure, many times. With the languages and the words that are being used right there in that time. Christ is already assuming that the going is being done when he made that statement. Okay? While you are going, maybe a better uh, translation of that passage. While you are going, what? Make disciples. Okay, it's assumed. We're all in the ballgame now. No one sitting in this room who claims the name of Christ should be outside of that context. He's assuming that we're going. That's the command he gave his disciples, and we are here continuing to carry on until he comes back. We should already be going. So I'm assuming that. I said that as we begin our chapel. That's your heart. And what's the goal? It's to make disciples of those who are destitute out there. Christ said, do what? Make disciples of all nations. Acts chapter 1 gives us a little better definition of that. It says, all nations is defined more clearly. It says this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. Okay? Gives you a little more clarification of what Christ was intending there. Since that command was given, follow me with this. I'm going to talk about the Christian's perspective. We can trace its partial fulfillment. By the year A.D. 35, Peter and his co-laborers had proclaimed the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. By the year A.D. 60, the Apostle Paul and his co-laborers had spread the gospel to the Gentile world that was known at that time. But what happened? The world grew, did it not, after Paul's time? It's a lot broader. The ends of the world are a lot broader today than they were at that time. And what happened? During that time of Paul's outreach, there was great persecution, was there not? Okay, I was a student of history, and I like to throw this in sometimes. This gave you kind of the direction of this, this one point. At that time, there was great persecution going on against the church. And what happened? Yes, they remained strong, but also the church escaped from persecution and went out. And it began to take the gospel to the furthest borders. Okay? And the gospel was spread out, and the church began to grow. And if you study church history, you begin to see how the church grew throughout the world and things like that. And, and what we begin to see up until about the 1500s is the church developed into what um, can be called, and in church history is called the Catholic Church. And it wasn't until the time of the Reformation that when Luther and Calvin actually stood up and said, look, the church is for the people, not for the people running the place. Okay? It wasn't until that time that we got our focus straight again. And at that time, Calvin himself began to send out missionaries to Brazil and to his home country of France. And we're back on track with the course of missions again after the Reformation. Listen to these dates. I tried to pull out some familiar names that you guys growing up in Christian homes or in a school may be familiar to you. But just listen to the dates. And what I want to show you is that the torch has been passed on from individual to individual to individual since that time. We're following in the footsteps of Peter and Paul when we talk about world outreach. After the Reformation in the 1500s, in 1743, David Brainerd reached out to the American Indians. 1743. And let me say as well, as I mentioned these kind of hallmarks of the faith, these wise men, these great men that we've all read their biographies, um, there are many, many people working beside them quietly. We don't know their names. We could probably find them somehow. But uh, these are just the well-known guys. But please know, there was a great force moving with them throughout the world. 1743, David Brainerd reaches out to the American Indians. 1793, William Carey, the father of modern missions, 
went to India. 1812, Adoniram Judson, the first American missionary, went to India and Burma. 1841, David Livingston charted the course through Africa and showed the gospel along the way. 1841, do you see the torch being passed? It's been passed. It's still going on. 1854, Hudson Taylor. He began the China Inland Mission, which in 1964, it still exists, they changed their name to OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Hudson Taylor in 1854. 1888, Jonathan Goforth, China's most outstanding evangelist, went to China. 1893, a lady by the name of Amy Carmichael went to India to do what? To save children, young children, under the age of 10, from becoming temple prostitutes there in the country of India. She devoted her life to that and moved in to India in 1893. 1910, C.T. Studd, a convert of D.L. Moody. Where did he go? He went to Africa. The torch remained passing throughout this time. 1956, some familiar names, a little closer to home. Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. You guys know them. You probably read their books. Elizabeth Elliott's books. What did they do? They went to Ecuador. To what? To reach the Akas. The Aka Indians with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened to them? They were martyred. We know the story well. 1856. The torch, the torch has still been passed. 1856. And we come to present day. There's many of you sitting here today whose parents are missionaries. They took up the torch of the gospel and have been holding it strong. And I say to you, it's 1991. Our turn, our turn has come. Will we pick up the torch? Will we take the gospel on? It's up to us. There's no one else. It's up to our generation. Will we be faithful? Who cares if there's an autobiography written about us a hundred years from now? Will we be faithful? Will we be one of the the people who are never mentioned in the biographies? Will we be some of those people? The point is, has the torch been passed? Now listen to some words in their journal. David Brainer in 1743 wrote this. He said it was a very affecting, it was very affecting to what? To see the poor Indians, who the other day were hallooing and yelling in their idolatrous feast and drunken frolics. Now what? Now crying to God with such importunity for an interest in his dear son. David Brainer, compassion, the Christian's perspective, the same as Christ. In 1841, David Livingston writes about the atrocity of the African slave trade he encountered while charting that course. Listen to his words in his journal. When endeavoring to give some account of the slave trade of East Africa, it was necessary to keep far within the truth, in order not to be thought guilty of exaggeration, but in sober seriousness the subject does not admit of exaggeration. To overdraw its evils is a simple impossibility. The sights I have seen, though common incidents of the traffic, are so nauseous that I always strive to drive them from my memory. In the case of the most disagreeable recollections, I can succeed in time, and consigning them to oblivion, but the slavery scenes come back unbidden and make me start up at night, horrified by their vividness. What? David Livingston saw the crowds. He was moved with compassion. In a letter to his mother, Hudson Taylor writes this, Oh mother, I cannot tell you, I cannot describe how I long to be a missionary, to carry the glad tidings to poor perishing sinners, to spend and be spent for him who died for me. Think, mother, of 12 millions. A number so great that it is impossible to realize it. Yes, 12 million souls in China. Every year passing without God and without hope into eternity. Oh, let us look with compassion on this multitude. 
God has been merciful to us. Let us be like Him. The torch of compassion was passed. Amy Carmichael, like I mentioned, working with those Indian children to free them from temple prostitution. In visiting near Panavia, I found a little girl of nine or ten, she writes in her journal, whose mother, in course of conversation, admitted was to be sold to somebody in connection with the Tutukoran temple. I tried to persuade her to give her to us instead. The mother was touched and promised to give her if we would come back in just a week. So we returned in a week, and we found that she had gone to the Tutukoran temple in the interval, and the sale of the child had been effected. The little girl was lying drugged on the floor. And then a later entry in her journal reads this about the same situation. We've heard that the child had been married to the gods, had lived for a year, and then died in such agony that the one who was responsible fled from the house with his hands over his ears to shut out the sounds of her screams. And she concludes, I do so often wish my friends at home could see these dear children. They could not help loving them. And Nate Saint, just a few days before he was martyred by the Aka Indians, wrote this. O oh Lord, may we be moved with compassion as our Lord was. May we shed tears of repentance for these we have failed to bring out darkness. May God give us a new vision of His will concerning the lost and our responsibility. We are no different. The date may be more current. It's 1991. But these were simply human individuals. Human individuals who went and saw what Christ saw. They're embraced with compassion for those they encountered. One common denominator among them is that they looked upon the multitude and were moved with compassion. There were many other things going on in their lives. But one common denominator that I want to point out to you is you will be moved with compassion if you're confronted with the crowds. And so I ask you, are you willing to be exposed to the needs of today's world? Are you willing to, willing to carry on the torch? Are you, and I ask myself the same question, am I willing to look upon the crowd? Because if I look, I've got to respond. I've got to respond. Let me summarize those two principles for you. Christ's perspective on the world, when he looked out, what, what, was, he, what, what was accomplished? He was moved with compassion. Christ was moved with compassion. I've just charted the course through history of missions. The torch has been passed on. Okay? It's being held out at this end of the stage. The torch is being held out. And we stand over there. Are we going to take it? I can tell you this. If we take the torch, we too can share the same perspective that Christ had. Because we will see the crowds and be moved with compassion. Something to think about. I hope it's encouraging to you. It excites me. There's more of a motivation than just obedience, though that's a noble motivation. But let your heart be broken for the world of Jesus Christ. And the second thing is I have a responsibility to fulfill. I cannot look around and let somebody else take that up. I mentioned to the freshmen so far, we're the minority here at the college. You know, maybe it's one out of ten Christian kids who actually get to come and be trained for the work of the kingdom. We're the minority. How dare we sit in a room like this and begin to look at other people and assume that they will carry on the torch. We are already in the minority. We have no right to assume that somebody else in this room will carry it on. We are already the one out of the ten who have been chosen. I hope you feel that as you train. Don't be negligent in your education. Be the best you can be. Glean as much as you can in the next four years. That was my goal. That's my goal today. 
That's who I am. I want to communicate that to you. I'm terribly excited about what's coming up, Master Impact International. And if we could just kind of change our direction of thought, I want to communicate to you exactly what's going to take place. Beginning September 30th, Mike Silva. He's the Executive Director of Outreach and Evangelism for the CBA. He is so blasted excited to be with you guys. I talk to him on the phone every week. And he said, I cannot wait to come and be with them. He's going to talk on personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. So he's going to be here in our Monday chapel during that week. Tuesday night we're going to have a Vesper service. For those who are really interested about praying and communing with God during that time. And then Wednesday morning we're going to have a send-off with Mike. We're all going to come ready to go. Cars loaded, vans loaded, buses loaded, lunches packed, whatever we need. We're going to come into this room at 8 a.m. on that Wednesday morning and hear from Mike and be sent out and commissioned. And then what are we doing? We're going out for three to five days. And I'm so excited. I've been working, working like a dog to try to get this organized for you guys. And uh, why? Why? Because I want to provide you with opportunity to what? See the crowds. See the crowds. I do not and I don't ever want to promote an opportunity that does not involve seeing the people. I believe very much in doing work projects and reaching out and doing things that are very helpful. And many of our trips include those things. But I talked to each leader and I said, you make sure that every trip involves contact with the people you're going to reach. Because I want your hearts to be moved, just like Christ. I want mine to be moved. If you guys, uh, when you came into chapel, you received an application. If you take that out, what I'd like to do is uh, just go through the trips. I apologize. There was a great error. I'm new in this job and it was my fault. I will take responsibility. I did not get enough brochures into your boxes. Okay, We had extra copies run and they were put in last night, so they should be there. I know it's a little late, but what we're going to do to try to help you out, thanks to Joel, is um, I'm going to walk you through the teams in the brochure. Some stuff's going to be happening up behind me. At the end of that time, they're all going to be listed. Pull out your application, fill it out, put your number one choice, your number two choice, your number three choice, turn it in at the doors on your way out, and you will find out next Wednesday which of those choices we were able to fit you in. Okay? And then we're going to take off a missions conference. Are you excited? I hope so. Okay. You guys have been flocking through my office, pumping me up. So let me pump you up a little bit. All right. Master Impact International, 1991. Let's talk about the trips. We are sending three outreach teams to Mexico. Lights are going to go down. Don't worry. They'll come up again. You can fill out your apps then. Mexico number one is going to be led by Otter Duman. And the dates are Wednesday through Sunday. It's a work project down in Tecate, Mexico. And we'll actually be going there to um, help build onto the, some of the construction things we've started and other groups have started in the past and just fellowship with the people there at the Bible Institute in Tecate, Mexico. All right? The second trip is Mexico too, led by Hal Williams, going down to help a man named Don Kaiser at a Bible Institute in Mexico do evangelistic outreach. Terribly exciting. He's, he can't wait for us to come. They had a great time last year. That's Mexico too. If you're interested in more evangelism, right out there with, with the Mexican people. Mexico 3 is going to be left by Jeff Williams, and this is, this is tremendous. Jeff has a contact with a man who has just started a church plant in, in Mexicali, Mexico, and he wants to take a team down to help them out and build their church and, and meet with the kids and do that kind of stuff. So that's Mexico 3. Mexico 3. We had such a great response last year from our Indian reservation trip. Um, I think there was about 50 or 60 people who actually applied, and... Uh, so I decided, well, let's just provide some more opportunities this year. So we've got three Native American outreaches this year. Native American one is going to be read, led by Ron Rankin, and that will be Wednesday through Saturday. And the ministry will involve um, actually doing some painting and staining. So if your skills are in that area, that would be great. But we're also going to run some kids' ministries, VBS, stuff like that. 
And that is on a Hopi reservation, four hours north of Phoenix. So that's on a Hopi reservation. Native American 2 will be led by Mike Roberts. And that will be Wednesday through Sunday. And this ministry as well involves children's outreach, VBS, things of that nature. Um, but they will actually be staying at the Southwest Indian School, where um, they'll be staying in the dormitories with the Indian students there at that school, as well as working on the reservation there and helping doing some construction at the church and running the kids' program. So that's Native American 2 with Mike Roberts. Native American 3 um, will be overseen by Paul Bradley. And we will be going um, to another reservation in Phoenix, near Phoenix, to do some outreach there. The pastor is so excited about us coming. He, I mean, I made the contacts with the agency's chief ministries, and they made the contacts with the pastors, and they were just saying, look, please send your kids. They want help. They want help. And I said, I'll do the best I can. So uh, that's Native American 3, overseen by Paul Bradley. That's Wednesday through Sunday. Then we got a couple trips down the inner city. Paul Martin will be leading a trip going to uh, the First Baptist Church of Hollywood. It's a church that seats 600 and only has 60 people attending. Great opportunity for helping that church out. They will also be working with the EV Free Church the Spanish area down in Los Angeles. So it's a combined trip to the First Baptist Church of Hollywood and the EV Free Church down in Los Angeles. The next inner city trip will be overseen by Rob Ballou, and that will be Wednesday through Friday of Missions Conference Week. And that, the focus there will be sports evangelism. They're going down to the inner city, finding some key parks. they be plugging in, playing basketball, volleyball, football, whatever else, and pulling in kids who are just hanging out. People are hanging out at the parks and uh, share the gospel with them. It's going to be a real casual approach using sports evangelism. And that's inner city two. All right? Then, to remain consistent with our philosophy that we are churchmen, um, and all of these are plugged in with local churches, even on the reservations, we're working with churches and all across the board. We have two church health trips. Church help one is working with Dave DeVries, and that will be Wednesday through Saturday out in the area of Castaic. We did that last year. Help get their church going. They have a church that will be a year old in November. And uh, because of what we did last year, they had 250 people present on their first Sunday. Okay, And now they're running a steady congregation since then. And they're saying, hey, come on out. We'll take your help. We'd like that. Um, church help number two is with Rob Provost out in Oxnard at Nyland Community Church. Okay, somebody's excited up there. Um, that's church help two with Rob Provost. Okay, and that's going to be Wednesday through Friday. Your brochure says Saturday. And then um, those who will be participating there, I, I hear that there's also a retreat with Grace Community College Life. And uh, you can participate on that as well. But that's with Rob Provost, church help number two. Then we got campus outreach. We're going to start our advance and Paul Seitz will be heading that up as well as some friends, and we'll be touching base with the shepherds at UCLA, USC, and CSUN. And they've invited us to come and to help them evangelize those campuses. And that's what we'll be doing with campus outreach. Then we got something exciting coming up. It's called Youth Quest. And Todd Arnett is so excited he can't stand it wherever he's at. But, yeah, thanks, Todd. You guys who are youth majors, we want to provide an opportunity for you. And what you'll be going down to Yucaipa. Todd will tell you where that's at. And... Uh, Getting on campus, it's already arranged to get on campus at a junior high and high school, and then there's going to be a big rally with somebody we all know, Mr. Dewey Bertolini, and uh, a special mime who will be coming at that time, and Todd's very for this year, and uh, reaching out there and helping some churches in that area. There will be training for that trip. So that's with Dr. Carruthers and the kids' outreach. Then we got a real exciting one. I really believe in this philosophy. This biking team, the cycling team, and those others who would like to join them who ride bikes, it helps. Um, Chris Mortimer will be heading up that trip. Bob Guyman will be involved in that as well. 
and they will be riding to Santa Barbara and joining a community bike ride that just happened to be scheduled at that time in God's sovereignty for us to, to plug in with a community bike ride, camping with them. And uh, that trip's available for you. There is, a, there is a fee for that for entrance into the bike ride, community bike ride. Okay, and then coming up is something that is very crucial, and I've decided to oversee this one this year because I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but this is our prayer team that upholds every one of these other teams that goes out. And we're going up to the Oaks in Palmdale. And we will be committed to praying throughout that entire time for every team that's out, upholding you in prayer, asking Christ to let the harvest be plentiful before us. Okay? And I'll be overseeing that with my wife. Kathy Huff will be helping on that as well. And we're going up to, to Palmdale. What we will be doing the first day of that is going over to the barrio and helping out with a survey and helping Bill Knoyer's ministry over there in the barrio. It's about time, right? It's about time over on the other side of the hill. And then one last opportunity, which I just uh, confirmed this morning, is those of you who are interested in a nursing home outreach, we've got that provided for you. That's not listed on the brochure. That's not up in the slides. But just note that. And uh, you can plug in right to that, to helping those ladies out, those elderly gentlemen, and get your hearts touched with them. So what have we got going? We've got a lot going on. There's opportunities for all of us to be involved. And I just want to say this. Let your heart be touched. Get a taste of Christ's perspective on the world. Sign up. I'm not going to twist anybody's arm. It's not mandatory here. But I'll tell you what, we have an amazing amount of uh, participation on these trips. So if you want to be a part, give yourself a chance. Let's grow together. Um, These are the teams. Let me close in prayer. And then quickly, as the lights continue to come up, I'll let you fill out the apps. Turn on me at the doors as you exit. And uh, let's go for Christ. All right? Let's pray.